that has been a, just incredible to experience. You know, when, I, when I think about the things that I'm most grateful for, I, I can't help but um, think through the people God has brought to us. Because in this, in this experience of merging with Calvary, the, the, we, we've met some real giants of the faith. There's a, there's a man named Dale that is at, at our Calvary campus, and He's one of our youth workers. And, and this year, or the last couple of years, as I've watched Dale at camp, um, I've just been uh, inspired by him. You know, our, last year at camp, we took over 400 kids to, to Falls Creek with middle school and high school camp over two weeks. And, and Dale was, was at both of those weeks. And I, and I watched Dale just share the gospel, I think, with almost every one of our students at camp. He, he just found time with each one of them meeting them and saying, hey, let, tell me your story. Can I, can I share the gospel with you? And I just, I've watched this take place and I was just, it was amazing. I, I just was uh, so inspired by his passion for the gospel. It's, it's so inspiring. There's, there's a friend of mine that I played tennis with at OBU that Brad and I played with uh, at OBU and his name's Scott Watkins. He's the pastor at First Baptist Kingfisher. And Scott used to be the youth minister at Calvary. And Scott invites Dale to camp with him every year. And I'm like, that's okay, Scott. You can do it as long as it doesn't conflict with our camp or I'll teepee your church or something. And, um, but but I, I just, um, I love it. I love his passion for the gospel. And, it, and, and you know, Dale has taught me and, and has taught all of us this important lesson. Because sometimes you look at a pastor and you think, okay, you're in ministry, you're you're paid to share the gospel. But the truth is, if I do my job, I'm, we're, we're going to equip the church to share the gospel. Because Dale's a, he, he's just, he's retired. He just retired recently, but he's not through working. He's serving the Lord. And, and he's teaching us something very incredible about his life, that, that the gospel responsibility is in not, the hand, not just the hands of the preachers, but it's in ha- the hands of every believer. Now, we're in Acts 18 and been tracking through the book of Acts. And, and last week in Acts 18, we met this couple named Aquila and Priscilla. And, 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 th- and this morning, as we continue this journey at, at the end of Acts 18 into Acts 19, uh, we're, we're, we're finishing up the second missionary journey of Paul. Paul has just concluded this missionary journey, and now he's... It's in this segue period before his third missionary journey starts. And there's this really interesting story as this, uh, as this unfolds uh, of Aquila and Priscilla. Now, now if I was going to summarize this message today in one sentence, it would be this, that, that every one of us is responsible to use who we are and what we have to share the gospel with the world. And this is why for us as a church, you know, we've been in, if you've been here very long, if you're a guest today, our church is in the middle of a 2018 challenge where we are challenged to share the gospel with as many people as our age. And, and I've, I watched Dale double his gospel count in two weeks of camp. He doubled it each week, you know, and it's been, been awesome to watch this, this layman share the gospel. Well, that's, that's really Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers. 
They, they were not paid preachers. And in fact, I want you to look at, flip over in your Bible real quick before we get into Acts 18. I want you to look at Romans 16. In Romans 16, verse 3 and 4, I referenced this last week, but I want you to see it because Paul talks about Aquila and Priscilla, how valuable they were to his ministry. And it says about them in verse 3 and 4, he writes in Romans, greet, greet Prisa and Achilla. Prisa is the, uh, the shortened version, like my daughter's name's Margaret, but we call her Maggie. Prisa is the Maggie version of Margaret. Greet Prisa and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And Paul writes in verse 4, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So, so this couple, they are big time. They, 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 were, they made a difference in the world. And you know in heaven we're going to get to meet them? We're going to get to hang out with them? I can't wait. Because they made an impact. They are lay people that serve the Lord so well that Paul writes, they risk their necks for them, and every Gentile church gives thanks for them. That's a pretty cool reputation. I, I honestly, I, I, that... that our goal is to follow Jesus, but, but it's good to rub shoulders with these giants of the faith that set an example, and they set a pretty good example for us. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 18, because we see that Paul is in this transition. Uh, he had left Corinth, and, and remember in Corinth, we looked at it last week, Paul was so frustrated and so angry that he quit. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm done with the Gentile or with the, with the Jews. I'm, I'm, not, I'm washing my, my hands of them. The blood's on your heads. I'm done with you. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles, and that's it. And it was such a cool message. I told Robin last week that, that I think that message was really more for me because it encouraged me that Paul got really frustrated and that he quit but then God didn't let him quit. And that was just a cool moment. But, but when you look at, at this, the, how this continues, Luke describes this journey. And, and, and Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, they head to Ephesus. Now, it's interesting as, as they head to Ephesus. Ephesus is a very important city. Ephesus was this, uh, it was a harbor. It was on a harbor. It was a, there was about 300,000 people in the city of Ephesus. It was a very strategic city. Now, Ephesus was, uh, was a city that was plagued by idol worship. And they were, they were known for their, their dabbling, in, not, not just dabbling in the occult. They were known for being... Um, just um, controlled by the occult and by demonic worship and demons. And, and I think it's interesting as you recognize on this missionary journey, that's where the church at Ephesus began. And that's what I love about the book of Acts because this is the, the prequel to all these letters that Paul wrote. And you remember in the book of Ephesians, the famous chapter in Ephesians chapter 6 where he talks about spiritual warfare, Right? And it's in Ephesus that Paul encounters this crazy spiritual warfare. And, and, and I'll be honest, Acts 19, 18 and 19, where we are, this is, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And, and, and I've, I'm trying to see in my life how many times I can preach this in different ways. And so the next two weeks, we're going to be in Acts 19, and I'm, I'm trying to cram it into two messages, which is, a challenge because I just love this. But, but what's interesting about Ephesus, we'll go into it a little bit more next week, but in Ephesus, there's the temple of Artemis. 
And some of your Bibles may say Diana. And, and the temple of Artemis was so magnificent and so huge and so beautiful that it was listed, if you Google uh, the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis is listed as one of those seven wonders. And it's in the city of Ephesus. And Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, they head there because Paul wants to be on a mission trip wants to go on his third missionary journey to Ephesus. But I want you to notice something. Look at verse 19 in Acts 18. Um, because verse 19 says, remember Paul quit. Paul said, I'm not going to the Jews anymore. I'm, I'm done with you. But in verse 19, they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself, he, Paul, what did he do? He went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, if you've been tracking with this, you know that that's... To me, I think that's awesome because Paul is like, I'm done with you, forget you, I'm not going to you anymore. But then it's like, okay, I'm going to Ephesus. First place he goes, to the synagogue. When they asked him to stay for a while, for a, for a longer period, he declined. Now this was a, you remember, all through these missionary journeys, Paul's going into the synagogue and he's, and he's rejected. They're coming against him. But he goes into this synagogue, and I think God's just helping him out. God's just reminding him, hey, look, this is why you're not done. This is why you don't quit. Because he goes into the synagogue here, and they're like, Paul, man, I want to hear more. Tell us about this. But, but he left. He, verse, verse 21, he declined. Taking, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God's will, if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. Because what Paul was doing right here, this is this, this period of time, probably about a year, that Paul says, I'm going to go check on the churches, the work that I had done before. So Paul's going back to Jerusalem. And, and then what Luke does is Luke kind of turns the camera on Aquila and Priscilla, and there's this really interesting story that happens in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 24, as Aquila and Priscilla really set the example for men like Dale and people like us. Would you stand with me and let's read verse 24, and we're going to look through verse 28. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, now what, a, what a great moment. Now, now, point number one today is, is very important, and I want us to, to hear it today, and, and we need to be able to, to recognize this today because Aquila and Priscilla set a great example for us. And point number one is this, the biblical message of salvation must be accurate. Now, now this is really important for us 
Because just like in the days of Paul, today we see a lot of false messages. And one of my prayers for us as a church, that we are all able to recognize a false or, or a, a teaching that's lacking. Now, now, you know, I've told you a story before, but one of my, my youth workers in the past, before I came here, I was a youth minister, and, and Mickey Maroney was one of our youth workers, and, I've, uh, and I loved Mickey Maroney. He taught 10th grade boys, and, and he was killed in the Oklahoma City bombing. And Mickey was so cool because he did things like he worked for, he guarded President Reagan. He was a head of the Secret Service in Oklahoma. He's just a really cool guy. And, our, and, and Mickey one t- was, at that point was working in the counterfeit division. And he brought 10 $100 bills to his 10th grade boys Sunday school class. And he said, hey, boys, uh, one of these is real. And if you can find it, you can have it. And these 10th grade boys were like, 100 bucks in Sunday school, I'm in. So they start looking at these $100 bills, trying to find the right one, and not one of them picked the right one. And what was cool about it, Mickey said, okay, well, let me, let me show you why that's false. And, and, and they were like, how did you know? How can you pick these out so fast? And Mickey told those 10th grade boys, I've spent so much time studying the real thing that when I see something that's false, I immediately recognize it. And then he taught them taught us all this great lesson. We need to know the Word of God because there are false teachers in the world. And, and we need to be able to recognize that. What I love about Aquila and Priscilla is, is this Apollos comes in. And Apollos is very talented. He's very persuasive. And he's a great teacher. But, but look back at, at verse 24. Um, it happened that... that um, verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. It says he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. So what, what are the scriptures here? It's the Old Testament law. He was competent in these. And, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So, so he had come to recognize that a Messiah was coming. And, and what's interesting is, is, is Apollos, we know about him because Paul writes about him. And what's, what's interesting, he, after this moment of Apollos getting things right, Ap- Apollos became one of the most effective teachers. And what's interesting about Apollos is, is people started to follow him. And remember the experience that Paul said, hey, you know, some follow Apollos and some follow me. See, there was not a problem between Paul and Apollos. Sometimes in the church, we make a competition between leaders, and that shouldn't be. And, and, and I love this about Paul. Paul loved Apollos. And I think Paul, Apollos made a great contribution. But here's how Apollos got right. And it's interesting because he had been, been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus So he taught about Jesus that a Messiah was coming, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, John the Baptist, this is what it's referring to. Remember John the Baptist? He was the forerunner of the Messiah. He came to make a way for for Jesus to help prepare the world for Jesus. And so, you know, Apollos, he he says that, that he only knew the baptism of John. He gets up in the synagogue. He began to speak boldly. But look at this, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, look at this, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. 
The, the NIV says uh, they took him into their home. You know, that's, that's a great example for us. Because sometimes when we hear false teaching, we tend to go, all right, come on, punk, that's wrong. You, you ever see that? So sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes as a pastor, I get that way. And, and, and I love what Aquila and Priscilla do. They, they kind of chill out for a second. He's teaching something that, that's not exactly, exactly accurate. Apollos right here at this point, he, maybe he wasn't on Twitter or maybe he hadn't checked his Facebook feed and didn't realize that, that Jesus had actually come and died and rose from the dead. Okay, right here. Word was traveling at this point. Apollos hadn't gotten the message yet. But you know what? What I love about this, and there's some important lessons here, and, and it's one of the things that I pray we're able to do, that, that everyone here needs to be able to recognize a false gospel or maybe a gospel light. You, you know, this is one of the things that concerns me about our day, and honestly, every day. There's, there are false gospels. There are gospel lights. And, and, and you know, I pray, and I hope you write this down, write this down. We need to be able to boldly and appropriately correct false messages that we hear. Because I love what Achilla and Priscilla do. They boldly go to this man that was very eloquent, this man that was very smart and very knowledgeable, and they go to him in a bold way, but also in an appropriate way. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And what I love about, this is a great lesson for us because Achilla and Priscilla, they, they did this. They went, to, they, they went to him and said, hey, can we talk to you? Let me instruct you. Let me help you. And, and, and they did. And, and, and here's, here's something I want us to to remember, because we live in a world that's becoming more and more hostile to the message of Christ. And that's the reality. You know, in business, in life, there used to be a time in America that if you wanted to advance your career, you ought to say, hey, I'm a Christian. Do you know that, that we've watched that change in our world? Now, if you are a Christian, man, we're not, following, we're not going to buy, buy cupcakes there or whatever. You're selling. And it's interesting, we've watched this change. But but but, but let's 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 embrace this. Do you know that we must never dilute God's word to make salvation more attractive? We do not have the right to dilute the message of Christ just so people will receive us. You know, it's, it's interesting to me and it's troubling to me because I've been doing some research and as I've come on the International Mission Board and have been helping with that, I've been doing some research in, in evangelical churches. And in Baptist life, do you know that, that we've been on a state of decline since 1990? And, and I found that statistic recently. Southern Baptists have been in a state of decline since 1990. And I was like, great. That's exactly the year that I started serving in ministry. Super. So I don't know if I'm part of the problem or if I inherited this. I, I have no idea. But, but, but you know what? 
I want to do something about that. And that's why I pray that we're a church that is brave and we take steps like we've taken at Calvary. That's outside of all of our comfort zones. And I love it how Priscilla and Aquila, that they went and they said, okay, look, we got to help Apollos get right. And we know the story of Apollos. Apollos, and it says, and it's so incredible that um, uh, they, they taught him. And, and we just read this. And, 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 and when they, they took him aside, verse 27, and, and Apollos got it. He's like, oh, my goodness, Jesus came. And he, and he got his baptism right. And he, and he got right with the Lord. And he realized, oh, this Jesus has already come. And he, and he died. And he, he rose from the dead. And, and he was so excited about this. Verse 27, and he wished to cross to Achaia. And the brothers encouraged him. And they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those through grace who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. And when I think about Apollos, and and you ought to do some research. I'm going to have you do that on your own. Uh, You ought to look at what Paul says about him and, and how he got a following. He was so persuasive. He was one of these men that made a huge impact. And you know what's really cool? Two lay people. Two people that were tent makers understood the gospel so well, they went to this man and helped him and, and made incredible contributions to the kingdom. And this is why I am so grateful for, I see this happening, happening in our church. Like it was cool to talk to Rob Rizzo today and, and told me about Ray Adcock at Christian Brothers. They, they had a, we had a, a big service in our community yesterday with a car care clinic. And men businessmen and, and teachers and coaches and engineers and all kinds of people in this church, I'm watching God use them in supernatural ways. So don't buy into that lie that, oh, Chris, you're a preacher, you're in ministry, you're called to share the gospel. No, Aquila and Priscilla, they are these lay people that set the example of men and women that go out and use their trade and share the gospel and make a difference. Now, and this is, this is what we see. Now, now it's interesting how this, this story, there's some really important things with what happen, happens next. Look, look at, um, at verse, back, back at verse 1 in chapter 19. Because now the third missionary journey begins. Paul spent a year, and we're not going to go into all that. But, but he spends a year, now he's on his way to Ephesus. And he's starting his third missionary journey. In verse, in verse 1, it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And as he was on his way to Ephesus, this was really cool, there he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, this is an important question. This is an important moment in the life of of Paul and and, and as his ministry starts in Ephesus because because when it comes to the Holy Spirit that's at work in in our lives, you know, there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit, even where we live. We live in the really a charismatic capital of, of the world. And there's a lot of controversy about this passage right here. There's a lot of people in our world in this part of Oklahoma, in this part of the kingdom of God, that would see this as these were a group of guys that were already believers. 
And they got that second gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you heard about that? Have you heard that, 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 that teaching that they're, and I have some friends that, that love the Lord that, that, that um, would look at this passage and say, you, you need an extra dose of the Holy Spirit. I think that's stepping outside of the meaning of this passage because I think these men right here, they've, they're not believers. Because, you know what, when, when a person is born again, when a person is saved, the Holy Spirit enters their life. And we see this all through the New Testament. Like, like Romans 8, 9, write, this, write, write that verse down. Romans 8, 9 says this, You who, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the Scripture is clear that if the Spirit of Christ is not in you, you do not belong to Jesus. And this is very important to understand. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And see, these men that, that, that Paul meets on the way to Ephesus, he says, hey, is the Holy Spirit in you? They're like, I, I don't even know who that is. Now, point number two is this, and, and it's an important point for us as we grow in our understanding of God. The Holy Spirit is proof that a person is really saved. You know, one of the things that I want more than anything for you as a person that God has called to this place, I want you to know you're saved. And one of the ways that you know you're saved is that the Holy Spirit is in your life. And, and the scripture tells us, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, great verse to memorize. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He's in Ephesus, and he had to clarify this to the Ephesian people because these were guys in Ephesus. And he writes in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, that, and you also, listen to this, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You were marked with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So, so it says the second that you are saved, the second a person is saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And I, and I, do, I don't think it's an accurate biblical teaching to, to, to see that you need a, an extra dose of the Holy Spirit at some other point. Now, do we grow up spiritually? Do we grow to more understanding of God? Do we, do we grow up in our faith? Absolutely. But the second you're saved, the Holy Spirit is proof that he's in your life. And this is very important. Now, when you see the New Testament, and I want you to see this, um, there's a pattern in New Testament believers and this is, this is evidence of the, of the Spirit's work in their lives. That, that in the New Testament, this salvation pattern takes place. They would hear the Word of God. And, and then once they would hear the Word of God, they would believe in Jesus. And this is what happened to Apollos. This is what happen, happens to these guys. They, they heard the Word of God from Paul, from a person. And this is what, what is so important because the world needs to hear the Word of God. And how, do they, how else are they going to hear it unless we share? This is why we've got to be a group of people that are faithful to go share the Word of God with the world. Because the pattern is they would hear the Word of God, then someone would believe in Jesus. They would immediately receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And just like what we saw today, after that, after the Holy Spirit's in their life, they would follow through in baptism. And see, it's interesting because I meet a lot of people that will say, 
you know, I, I believe in Jesus, but I've never been baptized. Do you know that you would never find a New Testament believer that had not been baptized? You, you wouldn't find them. Because every one of them, now, now baptism doesn't save them, but that is a step of obedience after salvation. And so you may have been, you, you may not have been baptized after you've come to Christ. But, but I love this New Testament pattern because people would hear the word of God, they would believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit would indwell their life, and then they'd follow through in baptism. And this is the pattern. Verse 3, look at this. Paul says to them, and he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Remember, Jesus was baptized by John. John came as the forerunner of Christ, saying, look, John was looking forward to Christ. We'll say that in a minute. But, but they, they said, we were baptized with John's baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. Oh, excuse me. Paul said, John's baptism was the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who has come after him. That is Jesus. And look at this. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. Now, there's a lot of, I have a lot of brothers that would look at this and say, see, you need to have the gift of tongues. Now, we don't have time to get into all the nuances of tongues today. But, but let me tell you something. This was the moment that these men were saved for the first time. And, and, and here's what we see playing out here. Point number three is this. Do you know that the cross and resurrection was a finished work? And the world needed to know. And this is right now, Ephesus, the people of Ephesus, John's baptism was popular. And, and when you think about John, John's baptism, John's baptism looked forward to Christ. And this is important. John's baptism was pointing that, hey, there's a Messiah coming. Christian baptism looks backwards at the finished work of Jesus. So God was moving in these guys' lives. They had already looked forward, hey, there's going to be a Messiah come, but they needed to be saved and be able to look backwards and say, Jesus saved me. And I want to ask you a question. Can you look backwards at a moment in your life when Jesus saved you? This is important. I don't want any, anybody that comes here I don't want anybody to be a member of our, there are two ways to join our church. Two things we ask people that join our church. And I think it's important to join a church. And it's interesting how that's becoming more novel in our church world today to actually join a congregation. But I think that's important. But those that join our church, we ask two things. We ask that you know Christ as your Savior and you're baptized by immersion. And see, that's what happened to these men. The reason we do that is we see it in the Scripture. And see, Christian baptism looks back to the finished work of Christ. And, and here's what else Scripture does. And, and I want us to see this, because you see it play out here, that Scripture moves us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, is the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Uh, and, and I keep going back to Ephesians 
Because Ephesians is commentary on what, what's taken place in Paul's life. You know what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 20? I'm going to put it on the screen behind me. It's, Paul writes, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this morning... As we interact with this interesting experience with Paul meeting these guys, and he says, hey, are you filled with the Spirit? And these guys are like, I didn't even know there was one. Can I just ask you, is the Holy Spirit in your life? You might say, well, well how do you know? Well, there's a moment when you realize the Word of God. This is the Word of God. That Jesus entered human history. Why? Because you were a sinner and you need a Savior. And see, um, you hear the Word of God. And then, then the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. And here's what happens when, when the Holy Spirit speaks, you know what He does? He convicts us of sin. See, I've met people, and there are times in my own life when I'm convicted of sin, and, and I think, ooh, that didn't feel good. But can I tell you, conviction of sin is a good thing? I meet people all the time that'll say, you know what, I prayed some prayer when I was a little kid. But, but you know what? Salvation is not praying a prayer. You know, I, I, I meet people that'll say, you know what, I tried Jesus before and it didn't work. Salvation is not giving Jesus a shot, trying him. Salvation is, is when you hear the word of God and you say, wow, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And, and then the, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes into your life. See, I've met people that will say, you know what, I, I'm, I've never heard the Spirit speak to me. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He speaks to you. He'll use the church. He'll use uh, circumstances. He'll, he'll use uh, people. But you know, every time God, the Holy, every time the Holy Spirit speaks, do you know that he never contradicts what his word says? And, and you know, I'm burdened. And, and one of the things that I'm burdened for is is the, the people that, that think they're going to heaven, but the Holy Spirit's not in their life. And so I just want you to ask yourself this question. Is Jesus my Lord, my Savior? Can you look back in your life and point to a moment that Jesus saved you and the Holy Spirit entered you and God began to move you to this thing called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. 
Now, I'm not saying that we don't grow into these things. But here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He's faithful to confirm in your heart if he's there. You know what the Holy Spirit says? You know what God says? That if you come to him, he won't turn you away. And so my question for you, I want so bad for you to know that you're saved. Because so many, they miss the gospel. They miss what the real message of salvation is. It's not, I'm going to try Jesus for a bit in my life. No. It's, you're my Lord, my Savior. And I surrender to you. I surrender to you, Lord. I can't make it without you. Have you come to Jesus? Really? Is the Spirit speaking to you now? Oh, if he is, don't turn him away. Come to him.